listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning. Uh, grateful that you are all here this morning. Uh, as we've been journeying through uh, the book of Romans, we find ourselves uh, at the point of Romans chapter 13. To, towards the end of this chapter, finishing it up this morning as we've journeyed together week after week in our very intentional verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. And our desire has really been to just allow the, the truth of the scriptures through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's written word to dwell in our hearts and help us understand certainly more about God and even more critically more about ourselves in some ways. And I would hope that as the Holy Spirit has worked in your life, there would have been some level of discovery, maybe some levels of self-awareness, some things that we're able to see about really pinpointing where the work of God and what the work of God is in each and every one of our lives. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that what we're going to be addressing is probably one of the most poignant challenges for each of us. So I'm not going to be as bold as to confess your sin for you, but corporately I'm going to confess our sin together as we think about uniting under the weight of what Romans 13 is drawing us towards. So if I had asked you a question, and the question being... Give me a biblical understanding of love and show me the address or the scripture in which you would understand God's direction of love. Where would you go? Well, you'd go to 1 Corinthians 13 more than likely. You've been at weddings and this sermon has been preached where Paul has been riveted on defining what love is by describing what love does. And so he tells us love is patient and kind. It's not rude, it doesn't envy, and doesn't boast. He gives us descriptions about how love behaves in the midst of a world and an onslaught of things that make love difficult. You and I know, maybe more significantly, when we see attitudes and actions that are unloving. We would look at some behaviors and responses to the world around us and says, I don't know specifically what love is, but I know that's not it. And we live in an environment where that feels very weighty and a reality in which we live on a regular basis. I think many of us in our testimony would be able to describe moments where we have felt unloved. I want to suggest to you this morning that Romans 13 is equally a chapter about love as much as 1 Corinthians 13 is. Written by the same author, certainly different circumstances, but the subject matter is very similar. And yet what Paul is doing at the church in Rome is helping us understand how it plays out in very practical circumstances. He's still doing what he's always done. He's telling us what love is by showing us what love does. And he defined it early on in Romans 13 by telling us that our love should be genuine, non-hypocritical, by doing two things, hating what is evil and loving what is good, that we're enjoying the goodness of the things by not just placating the evil that surrounds us, but we're realizing that we're holding those two things in tension. And then 
as though we walked through last week and maybe you find yourself here in this, this morning and you were here last week and you're like, but Jared talked about the government. I don't understand how Romans 13 has anything to do with love when you're talking about politics. Good point, fair enough. However, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that all of those things are married together. And so it's not as though I'm suggesting that we love the government in which we find ourselves in, that there are things that we disagree with and challenges. But what Paul is getting at too is the very heart of what we think and feel. The subject matter this morning is ultimately our motives. What draws us to do what we do, think what we think, and believe what we believe. You know, Paul had already said at the uh, end of the sermon last week in terms of expectations of how we behave in a government and being subject to our leaders, he gives us four things that we are required to pay. And here's what he says, right? He says, pay all that is owed them. So taxes to who taxes are owed and revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed. And, and so far we're thinking, okay, fiscally, I'm thinking about part of my subjection to the government and honoring the authority that God has placed over my life is paying my bills and doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that I'm paying my taxes, that I'm living as a member of society. But Paul, within the same breath, moves on and begins to suggest that it's not just a financial conversation, because what does he say next? Pay respect to who respect is owed and pay honor to who honor is owed. So there's this mentality of thinking, okay, so it can't just be running in some one lane of our life and thinking, okay, so I've got this situation and that means I'm doing the right thing by paying my taxes and making sure that I'm paying all the bills that are in front of me and I'm doing the best that I can. And then there's this other lane of, of honoring and respecting those around me. And then you get this seismic shift that happens in verse 8. And, and I think it becomes one of the most critical realities of drawing this entire chapter together under the weight of love. And let me suggest to you that this entire message and what Paul is getting at in all of Romans 13, but even this last section is this. We have a love problem because we have a sin problem. That if we're willing in the context of our lives to admit that there are people that God has brought into our purview that are hard to love. Here's the other part that's admit, that's hard to admit. At times, we are those people. You ever feel like you're hard to love? <laughs> of course not. It's everyone else that's difficult to love. I'm easy to love. I'm just like a big teddy bear. I never have any. Again, what Paul is saying is that as we start to put the microscope in our lives, our challenges with loving specific people comes as a result of a realization that there are numerous things affecting that response. And many of them are because of a result of sin. And when I say sin, a sin problem, I'm not just suggesting that our difficulty to love is because of our sin, although I think that's a huge piece of it. But I think even the sin done to us makes loving more difficult. So if I would put some boundaries or guardrails on Romans 13 as being a love chapter, I think what Paul is doing here is saying that very thing. We have a love problem because we have a sin problem. 
And so he's going to begin to expose that and really start to generate some of those challenges as we have to be willing to look inside our hearts before we look outside and say, that's unloving. We have to be able to see inside and say, okay, there's unloving things, attitudes, motives, and actions that live and breathe inside of me that also need to be addressed. If my love is to be genuine, then there are two things that have to happen according to Romans 13. I have to abhor or hate what is evil, and I have to cling to what is good, which means what's evil lives inside of me as much as it lives inside of anyone else. And what is good also lives inside of me as much as it lives inside of everyone else. So this becomes an accurate view of not just the world around me, but it forces me. Paul, the, the truth of the scriptures, the power of the Holy Spirit asks me, compels me to look inside. And if it's true that we have a love problem because we have a sin problem, then we begin to have to ask ourselves, where is that for me? So Paul, verse 8, jumps right into it after he tells us there are four places that we have to make sure we owe people, right? Pay your taxes, make sure the revenue's there, respect where respect is due, honor where honor is due. And then what does he say in verse 8? Owe no one anything. Hold on a minute, brother. Like, what do you mean? You just told me that I owe these things. And yet now you're saying, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Okay, so now Paul dives down deep into the nitty-gritty recesses of our heart, and he ties it to verse 7 and says, here's the reality. Our paying of our taxes, our paying of our revenues, respect where respect is owed, honor where honor is owed, the basis for all of those things motivated by the scriptures is love. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I paid my taxes this year, I did not feel love bubbling up in my heart, right? Paid more than I'd ever paid before. And I don't sit there and be like, I just love honoring God with giving them thousands of dollars of my money. Like, it's not something that I find myself thrilled by. And yet at the end of the day, the reality is, if I pull back far enough, I'm saying to myself, as God has called me to honor him, I'm contributing and becoming a member of society in such a way where I'm honoring that which God has put over me. And so love can be the motives. Love can be the process of how we think about those things. And so here's what I'd like to suggest to you in verse 8, what he's talking about. I think there are some fiscal components C.H. Spurgeon and Hudson Taylor all believed that this meant that no one as a Christian should ever incur debt at all. You should never borrow money. And that's something to be wrestled with, but I'm not sure that's specifically what he's talking about. He's saying that in the midst of our lives and the financial responsibilities that we have, that we shouldn't be overcome by debt where it consumes our life and affects our ability to love. We should live within margins. So we're looking, so we have space where God has called us to be more generous. It's there because we're not just overspending. So here's what I'd like to suggest verse 8 is talking about. The Bible tells us to live below our means and love above our abilities. Listen to that very significantly because what God is challenging us here is to consider holistically every part of our life. 
and saying to ourselves, we want to honor God with the things that he has given us. We want to think specifically about where we give our money to and what we do. And we don't want to end up being so consumed by all of this debt that we're unable to do anything. It puts pressure on us. There's no ability to love anyone around us because we're so in the weeds. And God has freedom to walk through those things and, and grace and the community of faith to help us move out of some of the debt that we experience. But the essence of what he says in verse eight is that certainly as we think to uh, ways in which to honor him, our goal is to, to live below our means, but to love beyond our ability. Because that's the real challenge, right? When we find ourselves struggling with our own sin or even the sin done to us or the sin around us, Love becomes the primary casualty. We're not thinking about where the Lord is calling us to be affectionate and kind and tender to those around us. We're thinking about how to make sure people understand what we've been through and the offenses in which people had caused us. We're thinking about making sure people know that we're on the right side, not on the wrong side. If you're having an argument with your spouse, the goal is to make sure she is 100% convinced that she's wrong and you're right, right? Not that that's ever happened to me, but I've heard at times that that's been a pattern for people. No, it's, it's true, right? We're bringing all of that to the table. And the challenge of what Paul is saying here is that we have a love problem because we have a sin problem. That at the very core of what's affecting our life are there two competing interests. My desires for the things that I want and God's perfect plan for me. And what do I choose? Well, in all honesty, if I'm being open with you in terms of confession, sometimes my appetites get the best of me. I choose what I want over what I know God desires. That's the challenge. And so that is the assault. That's the issue that Paul is addressing here. If Romans 13 is a, is a conversation about love, then what we're saying is holistically we're looking at the life around us and the spirit of God within us, and we have to be willing to admit that there's aspects of evil and sin that lives and breathes inside of us. And in the process of those things, there are times where it's very difficult to even understand how to love. John Ortberg wrote a book, and the book, probably one of my favorite titles I've ever heard, and it says this, his, his title of the book is, I'd Like You Better If You Were More Like Me. What a great book, right? Like if everyone thought like I thought and did what I did, then you would be so much easier to love. The fact that you're different and you think different and you behave differently is the reason why you're hard to love and why I'm hard to love. And so in the process of writing this book, he gives this illustration. And there's a story or these individuals, these scientists have decided and tried to figure out if they're alone in the dark. And so what they've crafted, there's this $100 billion enterprise where they're sending what they call these nanocrafts into space to see if we are the only ones here. And Stephen Hawking says, you know, the reason why for this huge investment is we have to answer the question, are we alone in the dark? John Ortberg suggests that they weren't the first to ask that question. In all honesty, what John would say is that every single one of us, every single aspect of our life is asking that very question. Are we alone in the darkness? And we send out what he would call emotional nanocrafts. <laughs> and sometimes they're a little more subtle than others, but small little conversations of just wanting the desire for connection and intimacy and the desire to be seen. Hey, did you see the game last night? 
just a small little nanocraft to see if somebody will connect. Sometimes they're less subtle and more overt. I don't think I'll ever talk to my dad again. And, and somehow God has placed you in that situation where you hear those things and you're aware of it and there's just those, those, those shots over the bow, those emotional nanocrafts just looking for connection, looking for a desire for relationship. So that's just a basic heartbeat of humankind, this desire to be connected, to be seen, to know that what you feel and you think and what I feel and I think matters. Matters so much that the struggles we face and even our poor behaviors and sinful attitudes aren't actually reasons why people reject us, but when the Christian church is drawn towards us. We're not averted from the challenges we're drawn towards them. And I think that's what he, he draws us to as he, he continues this chapter on love in verse 9. Here's what he says. He says, after verse 8, that love is, is um, loving one another is a fulfillment of the law. He says, verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, and you shall not covet. And then he says this, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. He's saying as we think about being a church or a people that honor God, love is the basis for our motives in which we do what we do, to be a good citizen in the world that God has called us to. Love serves as the foundation. To, to be that which is a, one who is willingly sacrificing and serving for their community and their family and caring about the needs around them requires as much as anything to look up to the reality of who God has called us to be. Because again, if it's true that God is calling us to live below our means but above our ability, then we will be put in situations constantly and chronically where love will not be your first response or mine. It will be unnatural for us to behave with attitudes and actions where we're able to see and think about our neighbor and those who are hurting around us in such a way that we're willing to consider that somehow God has put this individual in my life for me to act in love towards them. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that what Paul is saying is that it actually matters how we see people. It actually makes a difference. That so much of what you and I and me particularly struggle with is I have a version of the individuals around me. I have a version of those who've hurt me. And is my version accurate? Maybe in parts, but it's not complete. Certainly there are behaviors and things that we do not have to be okay with, but to demonize and diminish the value of an individual because of the sin in which they commit is an assault on love. And it's true in my own life as much as it's true in anyone else's life. That there's a sense in which we have to consider how we view people. Because what we end up doing, what I end up doing in my life, is I get to determine and decide whether they're worthy of my love. I thank God Jesus never did that for me. Because I'd never measure up. And that's where the gospel comes in. You know, we get all of these categories of, of Paul communicating to us. You know, the, you say you shall not covet, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, all things done towards someone else. 
And then he puts this huge basket that no one can get out of. It's like this container where we're stuck because God says, if there are loving actions towards your brother, you are fulfilling all of the commandments. What does that mean? It means you're doing the very thing God has called you to do. Attitudes and actions of love towards those who are unlovable is the heart of the gospel because that's exactly what happened to us. We are recipients of a love we didn't deserve, nothing that we did to merit it, by the affections, mercy, and power of God himself through Jesus Christ, coming, becoming a man, understanding what it was like to live and be tempted in a world that was hostile to the truth of the gospel. Died on a cross for the sins of those who were not even aware of what they were doing. And then inviting you and me into that relationship. We do not come with any merit of our own. God is never asking you to love someone else beyond how he's already loved them and how he's already loved me and how he's already loved you. Love is that compelling reality that becomes a diagnostic of our heart. We have to be willing to ask the question, why? Are the people around me hard to love? Paul's right. We have a love problem because we have a sin problem. And so what he tells us at the beginning in verse 8, just to remind ourselves, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Means the debt of love never satisfied. It's never satisfied. You never and I never get to the point where we're able to say, whew, I have loved that person well, I'm done. I've done my job. It's all set. Whether they received it or not, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to continue. I've, I've paid the debt I owe them of love, and that debt is fully satisfied. He's saying that we as Christians are always going to be compelled to love more deeply and to wrestle with the sin that lives inside of our hearts that makes it difficult to love those around us. Loving our neighbors fulfills the law of Christ. And so everyone has a story, everyone has needs, everyone has challenges, everyone has sin that's affecting how they relate with other people. And yet what Paul is saying is that the way to cut through all the noise of people's lives is with an attitude of the love for them that Christ has for you. To love those as though Christ has loved us. To love your neighbor, to love my neighbor as myself. Meaning that I, I'm aware of the needs that they have. I'm in relationship with them. I know where the hurts exist. You wouldn't have to ask me but for two seconds to say, how would it be that I could love you best? And I would tell you those areas of hurt in my heart where I felt unloved and what my needs are. If I'm loving my neighbor as myself, it means that I'm aware of the very places that I need to be loved, the very hurt that I'm carrying, the very challenges that exist in my life. I'm moving towards the mess, not away from it. I'm seeing people as God sees them. I want to grow in those places because it actually does matter how we see the people around us. Do we see them as problems to be solved? <laughs> Maybe. 
or do we see them as people to be saved? I think that's the challenge. July is not the best month for me. <laughs> Been a lot of ups and downs uh, relationally, emotionally, but even more critically, physically. Towards the end of June, I, I got in a, a car, well, sort of a bike. I got hit by a car on my bike, so that was a bunch of fun. Broke three ribs, tried to figure out all the details with those things, and then we went to Montana, which was great. Got to spend some time with our family. I decided that no matter what, I'm still young as I think that I am. Uh, so I was gonna teach Hannah how to water ski. So I get on the back of the thing, and sure enough, as it's getting ready to, to move up and, and learn how to ski, all I hear is and, and both my hamstrings just kind of tear all at the same time. It was awesome. So at the end of July, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna live in bubble wrap the rest of my life. Like, I'm, I'm done with this, this is crazy. And so now you take these two months off, you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do and all those things. And I think to myself, you know, all of those injuries and all of those challenges, man, it's been frustrating and difficult to me. And, and there's times where you just lose motivation and you're like, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. And yet, one of the connections for me is that I realize that there's often times where that happens to me emotionally. I want to be emotionally bubble wrapped. I do. I'm tired of being hurt. It just, it just gets old. There's just a weariness that exists where you're just like, you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll just isolate from people. And then what happens? I don't get hurt. I'll live alone, but it's okay. You know, at least it'll be better than this. And yet what Paul tells us in these verses moves away from being emotionally bubble wrapped to moves to being clothed with Christ. Two very different things. Look what he says here in these next few verses, which I think are stunning because he puts it in view of eternity. Verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. Verse 14 but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul, in very poignant terms, very targeted to each and every one of our hearts, mine included, what does he say? Wake up. And I think it's a, more of a, a stern wake up than to be like, it's okay, wake up. I mean, I think it's like, look, we've got to see how God sees things. And in the context of that, we realize that sin always wrecks things. It always makes things a mess in our own hearts and the hearts of those around us. It always makes things more complicated. It always causes confusion. And so when we think about the reality of those things, we find ourselves saying, all right, what do I need to do? What does waking up look like? And Paul tells us, have a very clear view of eternity. Now, if you ask my family, I've been accused of being destination-focused. I'm not the best person to travel with is how they'd say it. Like I, I, I have what they call an airport walk, which means that I'm faster than everyone else because I just got to get to where we need to get to to make sure that we get there on time. If we're driving, I'm not the guy that loves to stop and smell the roses. I'm like, we've got like GPS, ways, and Maps is like a competition. <laughs> like I'll beat the time. 100% will beat the time 100% of the time. 
The goal is just to get there. The journey is one of those places where I'm like, I just, I wanna, I wanna be there. I wanna be, I get destination focused. And sometimes that's difficult for relationships and is frustrating to people because I'm like, you don't have to pee. Like, hold it. We're gonna get there. So we have so many miles of gas, we're gonna make it. And then I become the weak link and it makes everything worse. Um, but, but I think what Paul is saying here is that that's not altogether bad. Maybe in this earthly world with your family and getting to a place you need to go, it's not the best thing. But I think you and I could serve to be more destination focused. That's what Paul says. He says, look, when you were saved, however long ago that was, even if it was today, you were 5, 10, 20, 30 minutes closer to God coming back and the consummation of all things where we'd be worshiping the Lord in heaven forever. Like, we are one day closer to being with the object of our affections forever. Today, you're one day closer than you were yesterday. You're one day closer to being home than you were yesterday. Paul uses that as motivation. Look, I know it's hard. He's not minimizing the challenges that you and I face. But what he's saying is, look, this will end. And it doesn't mean it's gonna end and finally it's just gonna be over and we're like, blah. It's gonna end in glory. It's gonna end in us worshiping around the throne of the God of the universe for eternity with utter joy, free from sin and free from tears. Like we need more destination focus. We need more desire to say, look, I am here, but yet a snippet, a whisper, as the Bible says. There's just a moment in time which God has called me to live. And how do I wanna live? Under the reality of the passionate love that God has for me and thus having that passionate love for others. Love, we have a love problem because we have a sin problem. And so often our desire is to become emotionally bubble wrapped when, when Paul is actually saying, no, you don't need to insulate yourself from the challenges of the world because we're not great at protecting ourselves from the sin around us, but even, we're even more terrible at protecting the sin from within us. Sometimes we are totally blind to it and just allow it to continue. What Paul says is clothe yourself with Christ. The reality of God's passionate love for you in such a way is makes this the chapter on love, not about doing better things for God so we can earn his favor, but living in the light of the love that Christ has for you and me. Because what he ultimately says in this text is that sin is an assault on love. Sin. The sins we say, the, the thoughts we think, the feelings that we feel that are outside of the work and will of God, the actions that we take are an assault on the very love that God has compelled us to. So what he's communicating to us is that not only do we live before our means and love beyond our ability, but our love isn't dependent on the recipient, but on the source. Love is not dependent on how the person you're called to love receives it. That's not even the point. Like you can love someone well and they can choose to reject and disregard that love in innumerable ways. And yet love is not dependent on the recipient. It's dependent on the source. The motive for love is the love that Christ has for us that moves us towards those really hard spaces. Because if we're really called to love, live below our means and love above our ability, that means that love has to be supernatural. I can't manufacture it, and neither can you. I can't just decide, 
I'm going to love you no matter what and just make it a competition. Being like, I'll show you that I'm better than you. No, which uh, maybe that has happened in my life. I don't know. But there is a place of really saying, because of the love that Christ has for me, I'm compelled to love those around me. And we have a love problem because we have a sin problem. So I would ask for us to consider a few things. Number one, who is the most difficult person in your life right now that is hard to love? Whoever it is, I'm not asking for names. It's between you and the Lord. And if it's me, it's between you and the Lord. Um, but whatever it might be, there's that space of there's God is sovereign and providential at work in innumerable ways. And out of the billions of people in the world, somehow in some way, this person is in your life. For some reason. If God is sovereign, he, it, it's there. Whoever that person is, the most difficult person to love. We have to ask ourselves, one, why has God brought that person into my life? And how is he compelling me to think about loving attitudes towards those individuals? It doesn't mean that I have to accept the evil done because Paul's already been clear. If your love is genuine, you have to be aware of the things that are evil. And you have to glue yourself to what is good. But the person that is difficult to love is not all evil. And that's what's really hard for many of us, myself included. Who's that person? And then all I'm going to ask you to do is to pray. Pray that the Lord would show you the things that he's trying to teach you in your own heart. And ask for ways that God can expose in your own heart ways in which you can love that person. And I don't know what that would be. But a very bare minimum, would you be willing to bring that person before the throne? You might not have any interactions with them. There might not even be any ability to have any contact or even a conversation. But would you pray for that individual that God would work in their life in such a way that they would see the love he has for them? Would you be willing to risk love through submitting ourselves and praying for the person that's hardest to love that God has brought into our life? Because we have a love problem. Because we have a sin problem. And so we have to be willing to admit that we need the Lord's help in these things. We don't want to be emotionally bubble-wrapped, but we want to clothe ourselves with Christ and seeing that we were that person who did not deserve love but had received it from the God of the universe in the most amazing ways. And so we desire others to know that as well. Would you pray with me? Father, love is always one of those things that's difficult to talk about. It's not difficult to talk about because... Somehow, in some way, it competes against what we think, but it really does push us to places of our own inability to do the very thing that you've called us to. Love is hard. Love is costly. It doesn't come as some sort of just emotion that we feel, but it is a decision that we make. We want to honor you with our hearts and our attitudes, but if I'm honest, I'm challenged to think about the people in my life that are difficult to love, the things that I want to say about them, the analysis of the character that I want to have and I want to be right. And yet, Lord, I also know that you're compelling me to surrender those things and trust in your sovereign care, that I need your love today as much as I did on day one. So help me focus, God, on the destination of knowing that you're calling me home someday 
but in the process of that, would you make me a man, a man of love to those around me? For your glory and by your grace, I would ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.